What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I'm too good this week. I'm too sharp. I'm ready. No, you're not. I got you. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm right, thanks, man. How are you? You sound very, uh, very uh, late night. Hello, this is Mr. Wonga, and you're listening to Late Night Lols on Smooth FM. Different variants. I just thought sometimes, you know, you come in hyper, but other times when I just like, just flow with it. And I, I think I'm flowing with it today. You're listening to three straight Jazz Champions Leagues on Jazz FM. <laughs> <laughs> Do a good weekend? Very good. Not as good as you, uh, given the results. Yes. Arsenal Club. As a whole, very good results. <laughs> statement, statement victories, shall Listen, I say. Trust the Zen. I'm extremely smug about those res- the results. I'm very, very smug about them. We'll uh, talk about it a little bit yeah, today. Let's get into it. But we're going to save the bulk of it for Wrighty's house. But um, anything else you go up to this weekend? Anything fun? Um, nothing I'll disclose in this podcast. <laughs> no, 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 nothing. Wow. They're really just played the night. Honestly, it's ridiculous. I'm sounding dramatic. I basically went and played paddle tennis and then saw my friends. Uh, have a very good two-all draw against um, top of the league side. Nice. Unicorns, a team that I used to play for against top of the league side. You know, uh, Tasmania, Berlin, actually. Yeah, I went to see them on Friday. Over there. So over their ground, I'm not sure if it was actually Tasmania, Berlin that were like... Tasmania, please. Come Tasmania, on. Pardon, pardon me. Come on. I was in the clubhouse and there was a picture of, of uh, Antonio Rudiger there. They're so proud nice. of him because that's where, yeah, one of the places we've started out there. They're so proud of him. So yeah, that was a lovely day. So I had a very much a football weekend, watched a lot of football. Uh, enjoyed a lot of football. It was a great weekend for it. So yeah, that it was, was a nice weekend. Watched lots of sport. Oh, I finished reading Dune as well. Oh yeah, Dune. Fact, yeah. Oh my god, Frank Herbert's Dune. One of those books where you're like, oh, it's like I've had it in the house for ages. Let me read it because the film's out. And uh, you know, like like all these things, all these pieces of work that get hyped. I tend to just leave them alone so I can come to them in my own mind. Same as like with Frank Her- with a Frank Herbert, <laughs> Frank Ocean's Blonde. Like same thing. Like you just sit mm. on it and leave because everyone's raving about it. I finally read it 
and it blew me away. I went back to mine, actually, we saw each other that evening and I went back to mine. I still had I think, 350 pages to go. Tore through it. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't like wow. go to bed till I finished it. Yeah, just tore through it that evening. Just like, whoa. Went to bed at I like saw one. you were all, like correcting the capitalization of it on, on Twitter. MF Dune. Like, uh, MF Dune. <laughs> all capitals, no trick spelling. All caps. Listen, <laughs> do all you caps. have what it takes to get this book through your thick melon? Yeah, <laughs> I just um, from now on, yeah, I'll always, I'll always call it Doom with capitals. I just feel it, it deserves it's so epic. I think that's one of uh, Doom's best low key. The Chrome Children track, yeah, monkey suit. Um, monkey monkey suit. suit. It's so yeah, it's one of my favorite. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so good, man. And he's so, he's so, he's so like raspy on it as well. And the villain as well, like the the, 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 and the video and like yeah, man, villain and all the, the might like he's mean and his tummy hurt. You know what I love about Doom? Doom just keeps talking to like working class people. You know, like a lot of rappers, like you feel they just get yeah. rich and they just don't connect anymore with people that are going oh. through nine to five stress. And Doom was clearly someone who was just always around regular people. I love yeah. that. Yeah, anyway, we can't start another podcast talking about Doom. We can't. We can't. I, mean, hey, we you know I watched anyway, this weekend. Yeah. I watched a second series of Love on the Spectrum. Have you ever seen it? No, I never heard of it. Unbelievable program. For those who haven't seen it, there's two series of it on Netflix. It's about, um, it's kind of like a reality show, but it's done really, really sensitively. Mm. And it's not like a game show or anything like that, but it's with a load of people in Australia who have been diagnosed with being on the autism spectrum. Mm. And they basically date. So they go on dates and stuff and they talk about their love lives. Oh. And, that. and oh, it's well, super, lovely. super good. It's really, really wholesome. On, on, on Netflix. On Netflix, yeah, it's really good. And the thing that oh, I found wonderful. really interesting about it is that it, it does a really good job of like dispelling a lot of myths about autism. Mm. In this series, for example, there's, there's a woman on there who often a lot of people say, oh, you don't seem autistic or something like that. So it's quite good, like shining a light on like high functioning autism as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's super good, man. And it, it will get you in the feels because it's very, very, it's just really, really wholesome. And they're all, all the characters are like really great. You know, I, I love that I had a friend who was, she was doing a column uh, for one of the German newspapers about autism in the, in the public and popular culture and the public space. And it was great because it just had that kind of context, that nuance. I'm not sure she knows about the show. I should drop her line actually about it. But yeah, it's, um, it's great to see like these issues in that, with that sort of platform, I think. Yeah, just raising really awareness. Have, yeah, 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 sure. yeah, it's great. Because yeah, I think a lot of people have like a certain vision of what some of these diagnoses mean. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's really good, like learning more about it as well. And it's just, it's just cool. It's a good show. But anyway, I yeah. will add that to my to-do list, my to-consume list. Yes. Quick shout for uh, Lewis Hamilton as well, who got a hundred Grand Prix victories in a wild, wild, wild race at Sochi. He's underrated. Well, this is an F1 podcast. podcast. He's, I'm going to wait well, until, wait until the ring for drivers. Give us my F1 podcast. Actually, admin-wise though, that I finally did that. Free Ryan, free Ryan. Give me yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now let my move now in a different way, did it? Had that piece go up on Friday. I wrote a piece about the sh- off the back of the Schumacher doc about Schumacher Senna and kind of the overall mythology of F1. A little bit about how I got into it as a kid. Uh, mm. That's on the Ringer site now. So check the Ringer.com. Very good, it is too. Thanks very, very much. Good it is too. Yeah, I've got new stuff coming to you actually. Ringer.com forward slash soccer coming this week. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. New this article just to, dropping. Yeah. Listen. Dropping. Going to drop the war dub. Yeah, exactly. Put you all on notice. <laughs> let's do the ad, the rest of the admin. First of all, yes, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, getting vaccinated if you can. Like we mentioned, theringer.com forward slash soccer. Also, don't forget to check our Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify and Righty's House this week will be you and Flo. We're going to save most of the North London Derby stuff because 
everyone wants to hear what Riley says about it. Uh, we'll also do the Women's Super League stuff because it was a big weekend for Arsenal overall. Very big, yeah, yeah. Chelsea women made up for their disappointing result, the men's disappointing result on Saturday by hammering Manchester United as well. And yeah, I think that's all the admin. All right, so today we've been waffling on a bit. So today we are going to talk about mainly Premier League and Serie A and we'll just wrap up a couple of other bits because it felt like there were big games in both this week that we should talk about in a little bit more detail. Uh, yeah, let's get into it after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, man. So I don't think it was the best game from the Premier League weekend, but I think it was probably the biggest Chelsea and Man City at Stamford Bridge. Manchester City winning 1-0. And we were talking about this in the Righty's House group, and I was saying that this really felt like Batman and Bane on the stairs of the Stock stock Exchange. Yeah. Because it was really showing signs that took a look, not broken Pep, but had got into Pep's head a bit. Worked him out. Do you remember after the Champions League final, we actually said on the podcast that um, whilst a load of people were accusing Pep of overthinking, we th- we said that we don't think he overthought it enough for the final. Mm. Yeah. This time round, I think the situation was reversed, actually. Pep needed this victory over Tuchel, obviously to stop it being three in a row for Tuchel, since yes. he's become Chelsea manager. But also I think because after the opening day defeat to Spurs, people immediately put City on the back foot. Right, yeah. There's been a little bit of spikiness coming out from Pep in the last couple of the weeks with like obviously the point against Southampton last week at home, the nil-nil draw, the thing about the fans coming to stadiums and stuff like that. I think right. Pep really, really needed this result just to calm everything down a little bit. Calm yes. being an ironic word considering he was rocking a Manchester t-shirt. Yes, he's done some interesting things in fashion-wise, hasn't he? The last, uh, Told you, last man, it's... It's like I wrote in that piece, what, over a year ago, he, he never really got over, never really got over Arteta leaving. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think that's actually where no lies were told. Yeah. So anyway, what do you, I mean, I don't think this was a, I think this was a thoroughly deserved victory. I think it could have been more. I think it should have been 3-0 actually on balance, in the balance of play. It's funny because I, I was critical of, of City's finishing in central areas and then mm. Gabriel Jesus scored the most centre-forward goal, like a goal of which Lewandowski would have been proud. And I think the thing is that, really, City, the only thing City have to do more is just convert consistently from central areas. That's really it. Like, that's really it because everything else they did um, was, was superb. Bernardo Silva was outstanding. And one thing I will say as well, and, you know, Foden was very good as well. One thing I'll say about um, Chelsea is it's impossible to understand this game without looking at the context of the previous three games where teams really went at Chelsea and they didn't, didn't score, but they, how do I say this? They knocked a bit of paint off the chassis. So Mm. Villa, Zenit and Spurs, Chelsea had clean sheets in each of those games. But I think that Tuchel would have looked at those and been like, ah, like people can get at us with a press if we go up. So let's sit deep against a team that's really good at pressing and just shut things down while I work out how to fix what's happening here. Now the thing, the one criticism I'll make, and this is, you know, Tuchel, tactically brilliant 
One thing that we've seen in recent games is Mateo Kovacic has been brilliant against the press, bringing the ball out, carrying the ball out. And when he did more of that in the second half, Chelsea looked good. They looked impressive. And I'm just a bit, I suppose I'm a bit confused as to why that quality, which he's been showing so well in recent games, wasn't used more, particularly because it felt like there were moments where City would have allowed them something. And the Mm. comparison I want to draw is between the Leipzig game, a three-all draw with Bayern, when the Leipzig press was brilliant and then Flick brings on Musiala and just goes run through the middle right at them. And they did that and it changed the balance of the game. And I just wonder if Tuchel regrets not running at the guts of, uh, running in the guts of City a bit earlier. The one other thing I want to mention as well, it was a 3-5-2, right? Mm. So up front you had Werner and Lukaku but I've never felt that Lukaku and Werner would work well in a front two. I would have felt it the front three because I don't think that Werner is really a link player like Harvard's is. So I was a bit concerned about in a front two, Werner and Lukaku. And to be honest, that's kind of how it played out. So yeah, I just think that, that Tuchel kind of got this one, got this one a bit wrong. It's just so interesting how the very, very smallest tactical decisions or errors, let's say, just become huge in games like this. But it's the link play. It's the Harvard's thing, isn't it? Like yeah. you've got the five... You need someone to connect with Lukaku. I I think Mason Mount was probably a bigger miss, actually. But if you are going to play Werner just off Lukaku, I think you're right that someone like Harvard needs to be there because they offer different problems in terms of occupying opponents. Yes. Werner and Harvard. Together, they can complement Lukaku quite a lot. I think Werner on his own is... Actually, I actually think he did okay, though. There was that one in the first half where he made that really good run, broke through the middle Mm. and held the ball up and managed to get the ball in quite well. Yeah. Wish James, for example, was way too occupied down that right-hand side. Yeah. Like, dealing with Cancelo and Jack Grealish was a problem, a big problem. And I thought that's where City actually looked the most dangerous, especially in the second Which is half. funny because City, um, Chelsea's right flank in recent seasons has been the strongest aspect of their play. And also as well, it's kind of this, you know, the, the matchup, the Champions League final matchup, you had James in there who was outstanding. Mm-hmm. But Grealish you is... Have Grealish, yeah. Grealish is, Grealish is an upgrade in the sense that like what he's doing at the moment for City, and I, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, just playing within the flow of the game and like letting the game come to him and just playing one-two touch and keeping it moving, very kind of like Rui Costa actually, uh, mm. in terms of his like economy of movement and touch. And he was just finding gaps everywhere. And I, I think the problem, I said this before, it's not anything new, but Chelsea just invited too much pressure. That was obviously the poison that Tuchel picked. And I think it was a mistake. Because you invite that much pressure, you will yield something. And they did. And I, I don't think they had to be that conservative, to be honest with you, Ryan. Um, I don't think they had to be. Yeah, I don't think they had to be. I um, don't either, but Tuchel afterwards was quite honest in his assessment of it. He just said, we did everything. We made more mis- like we were sloppier than usual. We weren't as intense as usual. We did mm. everything a little bit slower. And you could see that, like, Man City yeah. were just sharper, way more on it. It was kind of quite similar, to be honest to the dynamic in the Arsenal-Spurs game where Arsenal just looked a fraction quicker, more intense. I think they were, the gap was bigger, I think, in the, especially mm. in that first half of that game. But with Chelsea, I mean, we've said it before how they just look automatic sometimes since, since Tuckle's come in. Just everything is super crisp. Everything is super precise. Everything is like with intensity. And they were just not quite there. Do you know what this feels like? It feels like in basketball where you have like three really tight games and the team wins three in a row. Then the fourth night, they kind of get not blown out, but beaten by a large margin. And this was it because if you look at the games Chelsea have had, 
those previous three teams have really gone at them, like mm. like with no respect and with full intensity. So when you play, you know, it wasn't like they had a breather. I'm not sort of naming. I don't want to disrespect any other teams in the Premier League, but there are teams. There are teams you'd want to play after a selection of three fixtures like Chelsea have just had. There are teams you'd be keener to play. Maybe teams mm. that sit off you a bit more. And I think if they'd had a weaker opposition. Chelsea would have got away with it. I don't think this result happens if Chelsea have an easy run of fixtures before the City match. But I just almost feel like this was a game too far because I was looking at the game and going like, okay, I can see why the tactics are like this. And I said this on Twitter as well, so maybe it's execution at this point because there were just things, there were passes they weren't completing. Actually, Jorginho was pretty decent in terms of playing out from the back. There was, and you know, you, you see like certain players playing with a particular level of composure mm-hmm. and others who don't. And the compose that Jorginho showed playing out of defence at a certain point, I was like, ah, see, that is what's lacking in, I think, too many other players at the moment. But again, it was only 1-0. Um, and like I say, it's early in the season. There's a few teams on six, well, well played six, one, four, draw one, lost one. It's perfectly respectable. And so, yeah, just get the training on the Monday and uh, start rebuilding. But it's, it's fine, really. Yeah, I mean the main, the main, the main down, the main downside to this is that it breaks that unbelievable start that Chelsea and Liverpool had, where they were matching everyone's results. Like basically, this should have been three three. Yes, yes, that would have been fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, lots of fun. City was super impressive though, and I think this is a real box ticked from Jack Grealish. You wrote a really good tweet about his confidence. I was just saying how the most impressive thing about Grealish was that he was not, he was allowing the game to come to him and he was never seeming desperate or trying yeah, to force and he's, it. Yeah, and he's kind of been like that since he's been at City, actually. Yeah, yeah. He's not tried to do too much. If you think about it, that's someone who was bearing or carrying the kind of shouldering, is the word, someone who was shouldering the majority of the attacking burden for, for a club for a while. Yes. That can be quite a difficult transition to make into a club when you aren't expected to do so quite as yes. much. You still are, but you're expected when you are doing it, you're expected to do it to an even higher level. Right. And if, if, if I'm being perfectly, perfectly honest, when Man City went for Grealish for 100 million, I was a little bit skeptical it would work because I just thought, ah, it, you can never really tell with Pep. Yeah. With more. I don't want to say rogue because it makes it sound like Grealish is this like kind of Paul Gascoigne-esque kind of thing, but someone who is such a... A folk hero. He's a folk, a folk hero. folk yeah. hero is a good shout, yeah. He's actually I having think... the... The sad thing is he's having the career I wish that Gascoigne had actually. Yeah, maybe. In a weird way. You know what I mean? Like if you look at like Grealish's like boyhood club, mm. brought them up, did really... You know, in terms of Gascoigne's arc and Grealish has a... You know, I know what you mean though. In a kind of like free-spirited style, could he fit into that? But... The thing about Pep is we know that, you know, Pep has had his challenges with number nines before, but we know that Pep loves and improves midfielders. Yeah. If, and if that, history's I mean, proven anything. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, what I was going to say was that basically like sorry. it was, it was either like Pep was either going to absolutely love him or it wasn't going to work at all. I don't right. think there was going to be a middle ground. And I think the amount that, no. I'm actually surprised at how quickly he went into the side and how regularly he's playing and how much Pep seems to really play, want the side to play through him as well. And I think that's super encouraging for C because Last season, what City had nailed, and we saw it, was that they would just they would suffocate you just by how much they were moving the ball around. Yes, sides can learn from that and kind of build sound uh, tactical defensive structures against that. So you kind of need an element of chaos in order to break all that open when the pattern of of play don't work. And what yes. Jack Grealish actually balances really well is I've actually been way more impressed with how he 
he does fit into those patterns of play so far. But also yes, he yes. can he can create chaos. Like he got whacked for that. It wasn't for the it wasn't for the goal, was it? I don't think it was for the goal, but but Not City sure. broke down when that left hand side and he got, the he got he got whacked and basically the ball just fell to Cancelo who was overlapping. Right. But actually the amount of attention that no, he that draws, was, that was that was a different phase of play. Yeah, he was he was gonna play the ball, but then it got yeah, he, he, he ended up taking a touch and then Cancelo just ran onto it as he got hammered. And yeah, there was that yeah. stat that someone mentioned on commentary that basically like no one gets closed down quicker in the Premier League than Grealish. Do you know what I love about that stat? Because people talk in the leagues, right, in WhatsApp chats, and Grealish's name will come up as an opponent that's consistently horrible. And I mm-hmm. wonder how much of the scouting process, because I know obviously the scouting division is separate to the, you know, the playing staff. I wonder like what conversations Pep has had with the coaching staff and with players. And they've been like, that guy's the problem. Like whenever, you know, mm-hmm. we do play against certain teams because Milanis do that. Milanis to buy the best players against them. And I wonder how many players have been like, Grealish gives you the worst kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. The thing about him is he's very much a, a pick your poison. You look at like Ronaldinho, right? Yes, I've mentioned in the same sentence. Ronaldinho was so amazing because he could be as chaotic as possible, but also loved playing the combination stuff. Like Ronaldinho loved playing the triangles, loved mm-hmm. playing the, the short touch stuff. And I think, I wonder if Grealish is playing at City now and he's really excited because he's thinking, I can be more unpredictable now. Not that there aren't players at Villa with whom he couldn't play those fast combination passes, but at City, because you've got an abundance of players who have been number 10s at different points in their career, you then actually legitimately don't know when Grealish approaches you if he's going to play the combination stuff or dribble. And at least at mm. Villa, given his attacking brief, he's more inclined to, to dribble at me. So you know that like, he's now actually more dangerous. Mm. He's more dangerous at City than he was at Villa. Yeah, definitely. What I would say is that this really is just a defeat. You have to just take and move on, but also look mm. at it and be, well, this is the sign of the progress we've made that eight months ago, if we'd be gutted by a result like this, we'd have been like, well, no, if we'd lost a game like this, we'd have been like, oh, well, you know, that's just how it goes. But now we're actually legitimately gutted, which they should be. Mm. But I think it's a real sign of the progress that they can feel gutted after yeah. one or defeat like this. So yeah, all good. Uh, let's move on to someone else who would probably feel gutted. And that is Thomas Frank and Brentford. Yes. <laughs> An unbelievable game. Three all with Liverpool. They'll be elated, really. Although he said afterwards that, you know, they could have won the game. And these. But I like that. But I like that chat, though. I like that confidence. I would say this that Brentford have consistently impressed me with their, their aggression in that sense, like the, mm. the proactive nature of their play. Took the lead twice mm. and then showed the resilience to come back. Mm-hmm. And you know what I love about this? This was almost this was the result I wish Leeds had got at Anfield. Do you remember like the 4 3 defeat? And Leeds were just so good and so competitive. It was just really nice to see a team go at opposition with more resources and, and get a draw because it's really empowering to other clubs in the league. It's really empowering. Like you look at what Brentford are doing so far this year, some really great results. And we talk a bit about the opposition shortcomings, but I think mm. that's, this, is, this needs to be on Brentford at a certain point, right? It needs to be on Brentford and what they're doing and the way they're playing and like their message is basically that you can play open football and get rewarded and you can be tactically smart. I'm just really, really hyped for them, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he actually, Thomas Frank actually said he was a little bit disappointed at how open they were, <laughs> which I think is fair. <laughs> um, like, but I remember we said after the Arsenal game that people were, like Brentford would take points off people there this season. And yeah, Klopp said yeah, the yeah. same thing afterwards. Klopp after the game was just like, they are going to win points this season, the way they play. They, they're a said it, yeah. He essentially said yeah, they're a yeah. problem without saying they're a problem. That result, uh, when they lost, when um, Arsenal um, got beaten 2-0 first game of the season, at Brentford, I was like, it's at Brentford. They're hype. They're organised. They were the top scorers in the championship. Hello, the top scorers in the championship last year. Like, 
we're being disrespectful here. And I know there's a kind of the narrative of like doom and gloom because it's Arsenal and they got, but I was like, let's, res- let's put some respect on their name. Mm. We don't understand yet. And I said this, I think on the, that podcast, people do not yet understand how good this Brentford team actually is. There are some really good sides in the championship and there are some very, very, very smart coaches. Thomas mm. Frank is one of them. They, they were really close the year before, remember, to coming up. They lost in the championship uh, in the playoff finals for Fulham. To get that close to promotion two years in a row is, is a sign. Yes. And they're well recruited as well, I think. Yeah, we need well to like, look at the pedigree. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They caused Liverpool so many issues. But saying that, I do think Liverpool missed a couple of big, big chances and could have won the game, could have killed yeah. the game off. But then again, Brentford had another couple of chances at the end. It really could have gone either way, this game. It sounds such a cliche flip-flop kind of uh, throwaway no, no, line to say, but it was so... This game could have been 4-3 one side, 4-3 the other side. It could have been 5-3 to either. It was completely wild. There is a conversation about Liverpool's defence, I think, um, which is fair. I think that they're not as defensively solid as, as they were and they, they, give, they give teams hope where they didn't before. Having said that, you know, Brentford will subject the best defences to extreme, stru- extreme scrutiny. Can so- I chime in there? I think before they only conceded one goal in five games in the league. Yeah. At the same time though, like they do give you a, a sniff. Like, it's like, like Chelsea, for example. Chelsea hadn't conceded the previous three games against City, but they did get absolute, they did get an absolute chasing in those three games. Like those, Sometimes when you see clean sheets, clean sheets don't always reveal, I think, the underlying, the underlying issues or challenges. So if we, even if we look at like, there's a great stat about Leeds, for example, how Leeds have conceded the highest number of shots on target mm. in the Premier League so far. Uh, those aren't always high quality shots, but it's the kind of the drip drip effect. And I think that there are certain games where a team like Brentford meet a slightly uncertain object and you get an outcome like this. Mm. Now, it's funny, I think... Again, this is one of those results where you're not happy that you draw a game like this, but it's so early in the season, you almost welcome it. You almost look at it. You know, Klopp is like, Klopp is so good at adjustments. He'll look at this and be like, okay, like lots of great stuff in this game. Mo Salah scoring again. Great to see Curtis Jones gets a great strike. It's like deflected. Jones comes in and just does what Jones does. It's just so impressive. And I just, you know, Curtis Jones is like, he's, Curtis Jones is like Liverpool's Thomas Muller for me. Like Jones always plays. If he's fit, he always plays. He can play. You know, I love him. He can play like either side of the defence midfielder, can play either side of the, of the forward. He'll probably be a false nine before the season's out. There's lots of positive things here for Liverpool. And I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but it's just a, just a great day out. Like you look at this result and the strength I mean, they're and they're also top of the league. Exactly. This is oh, what I mean. You it's can't like, 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 you know. I'm like, I'm like, do you know what? You look at it and you're like, I'm not mad at that result. If you look at, no. if you consider the context of the rest of the, the rest of the games, you're like three all at Brentford. No shame in that. Yeah, it's been like afterwards would have been like, that was fun. Yeah, exa- exactly. Sometimes you just need to do that. You just yeah. need to come away and be like, it is what it is. It is what it is. Let's talk about Villa. Yeah. First win at Old Trafford since 2009. And it came with a big, big, big dose of Emmy Martinez shithousery. Oh my. Oh, wasn't happy. He said afterwards, it's just not right. Musa, it's just not right. <laughs> well, the funny thing was, we went from getting no penalties to not getting the right kind of penalties. So, and, then getting, and, then getting the not, and then not getting the right kind of treatment from the opposition on penalties. Klopp, Klopp made, exactly. Like, Klopp, he was like, oh, like, I think Klopp made a statement about us getting too many penalties. So the next game, we get a penalty after he makes a statement and then we miss the penalty. So I was like, a certain point. <laughs> well, everyone stopped talking about penalties. Yeah. And also as well, like, 
you know that. So Bruno Fernandes, Bernat Fernandes puts the ball over the bar in the last minute and Villa get the win, a deserved win. They were organised, they attacked well, they held us well. Mm-hmm. And United never really managed to put together the attacking, we said this a thousand times, the attacking patterns of play that you need. You know, then there was a, you know, raucous old Trafford and we never stitched it together. Can I say something? And this is a, this, I think this you need to say it, Ryan. You need to say it. You need to say it. Gary Neville was dangerously close to same vibes on his podcast. He was very, very close. He was extremely it. close. And, um, I'm not, I'm not going to go over this again because me and Carl did an episode with Wrighty about this where Wrighty was talking about more of the context about when he was talking about Solskjaer last season. Mm. I remember Carl and I were saying that it was more of a question, I think. Maybe it's a strength of, of Solskjaer's that what he does do really well, he doesn't implement necessarily a certain style of play. I think that can work up to a certain point under a certain evolution of it, during a certain period of evolution of a football team. Yes. Very Zidane-like at, at, um at Real Madrid, which you've yeah. pulled that reference out before. I mean, it's very handy Flick. I think Flick did it at Bayern initially. But I think the difference with, between Flick and Solskjaer is that A, Flick had been in elite setups for a long time. And also, I think he then evolved the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Initially just kind of settling the ship, everything in its right place, the Radiohead style of management. But yeah. then, if it then all goes a little bit idiotech. Yeah. <laughs> the problem you then have is when you start putting in players like Jadon Sancho, Varane and Ronaldo in there as well, and you finish second in the Premier League, it then reduces your room for manoeuvre. And if you don't then have a plan other than let the good players play well yeah, or slightly shift players in different positions, it's too individual focused. You know? And it breaks down because if people, yeah, because you have to, the problem with them um, running an attack as improv, well, not, not, that's not fair. Running attack that's primarily creating room for improvisation, right? Mm-hmm. If that's the primary basis of the attack, when teams, when players are on, that's wonderful. But the problem is you need to create systems for when players are at 60, 70% and still win. Because then it's like, okay, look, we're not like, it's like in the NBA, when a team is shooting lights out, you'll win. But over the course of a season, you can't shoot lights out. It just doesn't. You can't keep creating that rate. So what you have to have is you've got to have a situation where you can be in third gear and still winning games. Mm. And the problem is at the moment, Manchester United's third gear is vastly, Manchester United's fifth gear is actually as good as almost any in terms of if every United player is on their best, if Pogba and Fernandes and Sancho and Ronaldo are all combining at their best, at their peak, then that's actually a devastating force. The problem is that Manchester United's third gear is vastly inferior mm. to Chelsea's third gear and Manchester City's third gear and Liverpool's third gear. And that is the problem. And that is ultimately what decides championships. Yeah, for sure. Quick question. What do you think about the goal? Because Solskjaer said it should have been offside because Ollie Watkins was under here. And he nudges him a little bit. No, I didn't. I didn't see that. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't feel that. We need to shout out Villa big time though, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Villa are eighth again, doing pretty. Imp- whilst maybe not hitting or hitting the start as good as they did last season, or maybe impressing as much as they did last season under Dean Smith, I think just them comfortably already top half of the table. I think is again, yeah. especially after losing a player like Grealish, is massive for them. That ship is looking steady, isn't it? It is looking steady. And I think so far, also yeah, though, yeah. talking about transfer business, like we, how they recruited in the summer was super impressive. Courtney Horse with a header. I mean, I, my, I really want to say Hauser because of our German, that's where my yeah, head yeah. goes to. Yeah, yeah, going native. Yeah, exactly. Apparently I mean, it's Horse, right? It's Courtney Horse. Great name. 
Uh, let's quickly talk about the North London derby. It was beautiful. It was really good. Do you know what it's reminded me of? Yeah. Do you remember when Arsenal beat Man United 3-0 at the Emirates? It's exactly, exactly that. Exactly that. And then also, even the catalyst, yep. the fact that you had United beating us, um, Arsenal beating us 3-0, blowing us away in the early minutes, and Ozil being at the heart of everything, and Ozil yeah. just being absolutely locked in. I think right. Ozil, Sanchez and Walcott. Yeah. Did he get the third one, Ozil? Mm. Or, yeah, I think so. Um, and the same with this, like Saka getting the third, like after everyone else eats, then Saka eats. It was so fitting, wasn't it? And, yeah, he just um, did the first. So there was a yeah, really lovely so, symmetry, like Smithrow getting the first goal assisted by Saka, Smithrow assisting Aubameyang for the second and then Saka yeah. getting the third. I remember looking at the Arsenal pieces, you know, when they were, were talking about like Arsenal and like where they were going as a club. And I remember thinking, hang on a minute, if Arsenal get the right configuration of attackers and midfielders, mm. that's quite tasty. Um, mm. And so it proved. Like I looked, you look at the Arsenal eleven, and you're like, "That's a, that's a good team." I think right? I, I don't think it can be overstated how quietly impressive Tommy Asu has been since he's come in, though. Right. Yes. I yes. think actually that that piece right at the end of the transfer window, I think, was so smart, and you've seen how he must have been really high on their radar in terms of like scouting because he's mm. played ev- pretty much every every game. Right. I also don't think that being Spurs at the moment like this is something that means that Arsenal are going to go and all of a sudden qualify for the Champions League. These are right. two teams in flux at the moment. Yeah. But it looks a lot more balanced. I think we were talking about it on Wright's House about like incremental signs of improvement, you know, shoring up at the back first. I actually think, to be honest, the thing that will piss him off the most about this game is that they didn't keep a clean sheet. Right, right. Looked like conceding again and conceding those goals, conceding like shooting opportunities that central will, positions. And that, that is a sign that not everything is all super, super rosy and, fit and, and fixed because Ramsey makes that save, the deflected one off Lucas Moura in stopping time. There. Sorry, did I say Ramsey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I don't, blame, I, don't, I, don't, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. <laughs> He's just sitting on the bench and Jermaine bring him home. Oh, no. uh, Aaron Ramsdale, sorry. Uh, imagine if Arsenal brought Aaron Ramsey back and then they would have Aaron Ramsey and Aaron Ramsdale on the same team. I'd like that. To be honest, I don't hate that signing either. No, I don't either. Not as a, especially when his contract's up. Bring him home. Anyway, as anyway. a little bit of a glue guy. Anyway, oh. there we go. There we go. Anyway, yeah. Um, he makes that save from Moore in stoppage time that's deflected, and that is an amazing save when he pushes onto the bar. Yeah. Because if that goes it's in, hell of a save. Yeah. And if that it's, goes it's, in, it's actually incredible. Spurs have yeah. got four minutes to get an equaliser, and I think Arsenal wobble there. I mean, who wouldn't in a derby? Who wouldn't? Yeah. Uh, I said on Twitter that we're officially replacing the Pickford scale with the Ramsdale scale. Yeah. Because this man's hype. He is indeed. Hype. I like a goalkeeper. But if you're, if you're hype and you can handle your hype, like Pickford just chilled and like is now just, it's the final part of his game he had to iron out and now he just looks great. Like for England, for Everton, loving it. Whereas if you're a goalkeeper with that kind of charisma, you can harness it. Like, you know, Oliver Kahn was, was, was super mm. hype. Well, one of those hype of all time. We'll talk about it more on Wright's House first, but one thing I should say is that Spurs should have had a penalty. 100%. Oh, without question. Without uh, question, right? I cannot believe that oh that didn't get... Yeah, that's wild. I, and, yeah. Yeah. yeah and that, that, I mean, they was, do yeah, have yeah. a shout for the Hoiberg foul, I think, for the, for the goal. But the thing is, even so, the ball has got to travel so far. I would be more bothered about that than I would the foul because I can understand the call for the foul, but Kane should have had a penalty. Absolutely. Yeah, nailed I on. agree. I agree. But let's take a break and then we'll go abroad after this. Let's do it. All right, let's go to Italy. Big weekend okay. in Serie A this weekend. Let's do it, let's do it. The Rome derby, Sunday night, uh, was ferocious. It was, it was, and a hell of a game. 
Lazio 3, Roma 2, all kinds of intrigue, narrative in this one. Uh, I suppose the headline really is Pedro playing a starring role, scored the second goal, um, had left the club, uh, left Roma in unhappy circumstances. And I think he's the first player, uh, the first player ever to score in consecutive Rome derbies for a either different team. Scene, yeah. He was absolutely, Pedro was absolutely brilliant. I think he may be a vampire. I think he may be a vampire because I don't understand how someone is playing like this at this level and being decisive in these games. And with that intensity on both ends, as in basketball, they say both ends of the floor. There's one moment in the first half where Pedro tracks back, tracks back uh, in the left back position and plays himself out of trouble. And it is stunning. He gets the ball and kind of crosses over the attacking player goes right, shifts left, out to the flank on his right foot and he's gone. And he's turbocharged again. Like his speed on the break, his finishing, and there's the goal that he scores even. The goal that he scores, the finish he gets is almost identical to the finish that he gets in the Champions League final in 2011. And he's doing this 10 years later. Like Pedro, <laughs> Pedro is like one of these, <laughs> I think he's, we're going to find out that he was actually like a super soldier or something. And they're like 80 years from now, Pedro's going to have the same hairline <laughs> And everyone's going to be on crutches and Pedro's still going to be playing like up front for like Fiorentina or something. Like he, he was genuinely brilliant in this game. And nah, he's going to end up at Cagliari or something like that, I think. Yeah, Laz- Lazio on the break as well were brilliant. Sorry, like, ball, Chir- man. Do you know what I love as well? Like the unselfishness of like Chiromobile. I've got this thing, like there, there is a pass first striker. Which Chiro is Mobile, ironic considering he got the golden boot a couple of years ago in Serie A. Right? Yeah, yeah. This is someone that is really unselfish in crucial positions. He was brilliant. And Roma came back well. Like they had um, a good one in the midweek against Udinese, a 1-0, which you'd expect them to get. But they were always kind of chasing it here. Mm. They were always chasing it. One thing I want to say as well from this game, just a little sort of a nugget as well. Veritu's penalty that he gets late on. Mm. Supreme use of eye control. Sending the keeper wrong way from the spot. Like this was... I didn't go the wrong way. Keeper went, went the same way. But, but his eyes, though, that, that the look, he didn't, he didn't look, the gaze was so incredible. Like what he did with it, I was like, oh my God, like, not, not, it was pure like poker. It was pure <laughs> poker. Um, I was going to say, I really liked, uh, so obviously Roma went to, uh, sorry, Lazio went to nil up. Uh, Milinkovic yeah. Savage got the first one and got yeah. absolutely wiped out by Rio Patricio, who got the yellow for it. And he looked like this he was, was out cold for a while. Yeah. Someone said it best. The commentary said, like, really, really amazing, like how, it was amazing from Milinkovic Savage because he knew he was going to get wiped out, but still went for it. You could mm. see Patricia would because Patricia was like really quick off his line. Generally, mm. there were just so many moments in this game where it was like, "Who dares wins?" If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, well, when Ibaneth, Ibaneth got the um, the goal back for Roma, and yeah. <laughs> Mourinho turns around and starts doing the calm down, calm down, point to the watch. We've got calm, calm. <laughs> like we're still in the canopy eating phase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was just such a good game, this. It was such a good game. There was a, a, a really nice moment on the commentary where uh, the Dazone commentator called Tammy Abraham Abra. And I was just like, oh shit, it's Abra. Abra's playing. <laughs> Mourinho gave uh, everyone a little bit of a talking to out on the pitch afterwards. Hmm. I think Lazio needed that though, because they were yeah. in trouble of kind of losing ground on that top four which I know it's early stages of the season but I don't think the lost ground is going to matter so much because this is a very this is intense this league like this um, I mean look at look at that top six and seven like it's 
you've got Lazio, Fiorentina up in there, Lazio, Atalanta, Roma, Inter, Milan, like Napoli, like, oof. I mean, especially that Juve have got, what, two wins on the bounce now in the league. Yeah, then Empoli are pressing like hell. Empoli are really, they've lost a couple of games, but they're really impressive. Um, they've been really impressive and they've really stretched teams really well. I think Lazio beat Empoli 3-1, but that game was like, could have gone either way, actually. So mm. that midsection Serie A is really impressive. So yeah, points, points will be dropped. But having said that, like if we're, while we're on Serie A, the other games of note, the two other big games of note, I would say, well, it, Napoli, Napoli, just because Napoli got the tuna when it's calorie and just, just confirmed they are yeah, dangerous. Yeah, 100% record. It remains but the other that. game, I would say the game of the weekend to compete with the Rome derby was... Well, before we go there, just, just give a shout out to Juve because Juve beat Samp 3-2. Uh, Locatelli got his first goal for, for Juve, but head of the Champions League, two massive injury problems for Juve with Dybala and Morata both going off. And I'm not sure if they're going to be fit for midweek. That's a real Made problem for Juve well. because they've been really they've been kind of part of the reason that Juve have started to, to, yeah. to tick, yeah, to click a little bit. really well, combining really well. Dybala especially has just been, I think, playing super well. Yeah. Morata's looking sharp. He did an amazing thing, actually. Did you see, <laughs> did you see him on the corner where he, uh, he put his hands over Emil Aldero's eyes? No, I didn't see that. No. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> he just did that and then like turned around and they were both giggling at each other but it was just so it was That's like a, brilliant. It, it wasn't like full shithousery it was just like a little bit of cheeky shithousery it's naughty yeah exactly yeah naughty yeah naughty Morata but some good goals in that game and again Juve don't look like they've they've sorted everything out but no. I think climbing back up the table two wins on the bounce in the league going <laughs> forward definitely surely. showing signs of life definitely showing signs yeah, of for life sure. um, but your game of the weekend is there right it was into Atalanta. The Musa Derby. Listen, the Latar Martinez volley will have to go a very, very long way to find a better volley than that. Coming in from deep and just clattering in the top corner. And then Malinowski scoring. There's like a, there's a Robin goal, right? There's a thing, you know, like Thomas Hitzelsberger had that reputation of like scoring from distance and Robin cuts in and scores. The Malinowski long range drive is just a thing of wonder at this point. It's a thing of wonder. Um, he got glorious strike. And they could have taken this Atlanta. They get the bar late with the penalty from DeMarco. And again, this is one of these results where it's just like a great skirmish where it's a two-all draw and into looking at Atlanta going, we'll see you again later on this season. We'll mm. see you on later on. Because Atlanta, I think, have had a moment where obviously they didn't get the three points and maybe, of course, a victory would have been preferable. But I think it was a good moment for them to be like, we're still in this. We're still dangerous. Because they have slightly faltered in recent weeks, I think, and slightly fallen away from the chasing pack. Um, but yeah, Inter, just looking, even though they got the draw, they got the points, their attack has just seamlessly improved. The signing of Dzeko, like we said this at the time, but the signing of Dzeko was just a great piece of business. And most of all, I'm impressed by Simone Inzaghi, Inzaghi because I won't lie to you, when Conte went and Inzaghi came in, I must be honest, and I was like, oh, this feels like, you know, quite, quite a step down in a sense. Mm. But he's got them, he's got them flowing. He's got them playing some really good stuff. Yeah, I was concerned about Inter, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really, really impressive for them, especially because the first Scudetto in what, like 11 years, was it 11 years? It was 11, wasn't it? I think it was and then, 11, yeah. And then yeah. losing the manager, losing your top goal scorer, losing the player like Hakimi, like obviously Chris, the, the Christian Eriksen stuff as well. It's like, yeah. it looks really uncertain for Inter this season. Yeah, they may not win the league, necessarily they may do. I, I, I really don't think you can call it in Serie A this season. No, no. no. Which is great. 
So it's just good to see him kind of like maintaining at least. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Really impressive. And Atalanta doing Atalanta things. Indeed. But we've got shout out Spalletti because like. I love this. I love I mean, this combo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially after, you know, the whole like Inter stuff. Peak Spalletti, his teams always play beautiful stuff. Mm. They always play beautiful football. Napoli came out the blocks really well against Cagliari, which is what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a, there is a really fun side to watch. Check them out if you get a moment. Lastly on Serie A, Daniel Maldini scoring for Milan against Spezia. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Just amazing. Wow. Let's quickly go to the Bundesliga because there were a couple of nice stories in the Bundesliga. I want to start with Freiburg. Freiburg played their final game at the Schwarzwaldstadion or Dreisamstadion, depending on your preference. Really, really incredible scenes. They beat Augsburg 3-0 and Christian Streich, who for any listeners to this podcast will know we are massive fans of Christian Streich, one of the cult managers in the Bundesliga. And to be honest, one of the Bundesliga's, I wouldn't say underrated, but I'd say probably on a global scale, under-talked about. Yeah. Great dude, great politics as well. Good guy. Yeah, just someone who really stands up and says things at really crucial times says important things at crucial times. They're moving yeah. to their new stadium and it's a real shame. I think it's, it's, it's great for Freiburg in one sense. They've solidified themselves as a Bundesliga club and Christian yeah. Schreich is a major part of that. But really um, iconic kind of like old Bundesliga ground. Yeah. And for Streich, you could see he was super, super emotional because he played for Freiburg there. For 16 years, he was basically a youth coach at Freiburg. And part of that time, he overlapped with his time as an assistant before he took the job 10 years ago. So he's basically been around Freiburg since like 83. God. Which That's is, for him, it must be like when the Atleti left the Calderon. Like, yeah. you know, the feet of all that institutional, like, I don't know, I can't, dis- when, when leaving a stadium is something so profound, isn't it, Ryan? Like mm-hmm. the place where it all happened and like, how do you get the magic in the new place? How do you, I mean, I hope they're not too worried about like generating that same energy, affection, connection with the new place. But yeah, it's, it's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. I think they'll be fine, so Freiburg. I think they're... Uh, that's a really, really, really good football club, Freiburg. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what a way to to say goodbye to the old stadium with a 3-0 win over Augsburg. Watch the game if you get a chance to watch the highlights and see if you can watch some of the highlights of uh, the kind of scenes afterwards. You know, strike with a megaphone and a mask <laughs> going down to the ultras and giving speeches and all the players and staff sat on the on the pitch for a while afterwards. It was just a really... Lovely. A really, really nice moment. And the game itself, they absolutely hammered Augsburg thoroughly deserve to win they're up to fifth they're level on points with Dortmund they're only a point behind Wolfsburg and Leverkusen and they're only four points behind Bayern whilst I think that it's going to be a long long season for Freiburg and the club of their resources should not be expected to be at that end of the table strike is that good a coach right right yeah I mean in terms of the rest of the results uh, Bayern had already beaten Greuterfurt on Friday night uh, Dortmund lost to Gladbach and were were poor, super poor, probably their yeah. poorest performance of the season. But it was a much needed win for Adi Hutter, but who has been struggling at Gladbach. Yep. Gladbach yeah, yeah. have been a little bit tricky to figure out. Dortmund were missing Marco Royce and Erling Haaland, and I'm not entirely sure if they're going to be back for the Champions League, but we'll see. Leverkusen beat Mainz 1-0. Wolfsburg, their first defeat yeah. of the season, they lost away at Hoffenheim. And uh, I think that's... This is when we'll start to see the real Wolfsburg. (laughs) There's always one defeat, isn't there, where they kind of get broken open? Uh, You know, Wolfsburg have been, hmm, I I don't want to say catfish, but their position in the league 
was not reflective of the it football can be that deceptive. they were playing. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can be deceptive. Um, yeah, yeah. Leipzig, big win for Jesse. Je- right, Leipzig are weird under Jesse Marsh. Two defeat, two wins this season in the league. Four 0 against Stuttgart. Six 0 right. against Hertha. Like massive thrashings. Play a team that's struggling. I think is the answer. Yeah, although Hertha's um, Hertha's form hadn't been dreadful coming into the game. They were off the back of two two straight wins after their initial start to the season. Hertha had won two games in a row. Leipzig's form was 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 poor. Bad. Yeah. But then I think the players they had available this time is really essential to to note as well. Well, they just like, look really good with Nkuku and Paulson and Forsberg inside. And I, that, right, that's, right, a, right. that's a weird one because obviously they signed Andre Silva, who's potentially going to be a goal machine. Yeah. But weird how that. Almost like they tapped into some old school muscle memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just, they played with a lot of freedom. Um, really good. I mean, Hertha couldn't cope with it. Hertha couldn't cope with the speed no. of the transitions. I, I had a slight sort of, <laughs> felt slightly sad for Suat Serdar, who's gone from like Schalke to Hertha. I hope he doesn't have more struggle there. Um, I hope he doesn't have to sort of... He's won more games at this stage of the season than Schalke did last season. Oh, so it's God. fine. Oh, what? That's just a fact. That's not me, get, that's yeah, not me throwing shade. I, I'm just saying. I know. Like, I know. I know. It I just... is, as, as chaotic as Hertha is, the supposed big city club, you know, like yeah. Lars Windhorst, loads of investment, pushing for, you know, make loads of noises about a Bundesliga <laughs> title challenge. And every fucking year since, there's just been <laughs> chaos yeah, yeah. at that club. You know, Pal Dardai had bounced and then he's got to come back. And there's, I even saw some people talking about getting Lucien Favre back, a guy who managed the club, what, over a decade ago? Nostalgia FC. I mean, to be honest, I, think, I actually don't think Lucien Favre would be a bad shout for the, for the Hertha gig. But. You might free them up, to be honest. Um, what I would say about, what I would say about uh, you know, Leipzig, just great result for them, great to them playing in that style. And I think, again, like with a Stuttgart victory, you can say these are green shoots. Mm-hmm. Marsh can look and say, look, these are the games where it's working. At least, I think with all, with all these managers, you need a couple of performances where you can show fans and also investors what the direction of the club is. Mm. That's, that's why the Arteta thing was such a big thing over Spurs, because you can show people this is how it's supposed to look. Uh, but yeah, Leipzig looked great. Um, super quick to La Liga before we get out of here. There's only one place we can really go in La Liga, isn't there? Alaves. I mean, Alaves, we'll talk briefly about Alaves. So Alaves beating Atleti 1-0. Well, this is the, Alaves' first win of the season. Yeah. Uh, against the champions, remember. This is a massive win. And it came with a goal after four minutes. And Atleti just did not really. <sighs> they had that's so much you. of the ball. Not- and the chances they created were so poor. They had one shot on target. Doesn't surprise me. They've been really struggling to click Atleti. Yeah, yeah. Poor yeah. Griezmann, man. Like, Griezmann is just really, like... He's really upsetting the balance everywhere he's going at the moment, apart from maybe France. This result was coming though. This result was coming. You look at the, the game last week against um, Getafe, they would do a result like this. It's not a huge surprise that mm. they lost to Alaves. Not yeah. at all to me. The, probably probably um, the one positive, I think, from an Atleti point of view was Rodrigo de Paul, who was brilliant again. Apart yes, that, he's been a great signing. He's been and also really the fact signing. that like, Real drew against Villarreal. So yeah, so least, ground, yeah. Too, not too much ground lost. Uh, they're still, no, they're, exactly. they're three, just three points behind Real at the top. Um, you want to talk about Ansu Fati, don't you? Of course I do. The return of the boy king, because everything about this was beautiful. So, so great. I didn't catch this game live. And when I saw that Ansu Fati had scored, 
You know, I did. I didn't go and look at the highlights. I went straight to Diana Christine's timeline because I knew the love, <laughs> the love and the joy on that time would be so pure. So I just went to Diana Christine's um, timeline on Twitter and just read her like afternoon of tweets about Anzu Fetti. Mm. And it was so pure. Everything about this goal, not only did he come on, he came on with 10 minutes to go, Barca tuned up against Levante. Big result because Levante are troublemakers. They are. They're naughty. They've been, they're naughty. They've, been, they've, been, they've been very naughty for a very long time when it comes to the Barca games. They had a big, big hand in the title race last season. Yeah, this victory by no means assured. Barcelona came out extremely confident, played with some real style and Antifati comes on with 10 minutes to go and doesn't score like a tap. I didn't see the goal, I didn't see the goal until the highlights and it, first of all, it was a beautiful goal. Yep. Sends the defender wandering towards the corner flag, probably still wandering there, cuts inside, crashes it in the corner and then runs off and then the celebration is, beautiful celebration gets raised onto the, uh, I think Araujo raises him up and then the players just carry him, hold him up. And then he goes and celebrates with the doctor. I oh, know. He celebrates on the doctors who like helped him get back. And he was out for like almost exactly a year, like 322 days or something. Mm-hmm. He was out. And he's Horrible back. Horrible injury. Oh yeah. And he's back with wearing the number 10. And it was, it was just a really beautiful moment. And the fact that, the fact that Barcelona, and I said this in the chat, I think they have Ansu Fati and Pedri in the same 11. Do you know what it is? I know it's a different kind of thing and obviously the, the situation is vastly different, but it's very similar to the Saka-Smith-Row thing at Arsenal. Yes. You know, you've got academy graduates in the side, it gives you a lot of goodwill. We saw at Chelsea, what Barca really could have done this season or even last season, to be honest, if they were smarter, was clear people out before everyone knew that they needed to clear out. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, and there was, an, and there would have been, in, I think, Messi, Piquet, Busquets, De Jong and Testegen as kind of like the spine with a load of academy graduates. Obviously Pedri isn't an academy graduate. He wasn't a La Masia guy. He came through at Las Palmas. He came so young, he basically got adopted as like one of their own already. Yeah. And the fee was so small. Ansu Fati obviously came through La Masia, but there are quite a few really interesting graduates from La Masia for the first time since the golden generation. That is a really, look, they, they look, this is the thing of course, we all, let's just say, let, let's just speak into existence. midfielders coming out of La Masia. Yeah, because you know that Chavi, you know that Chavi's WhatsApp is going to be buzzing the next few months. Yeah, because there's a Gavi in there. Yeah, but you look, yeah, yeah, Gavi and Chavi, but you look at it and actually the Barcelona squad and the conditions of Barca have been terraformed for the arrival of Chavi. Mm. Absolutely terraformed for the arrival of Chavi. The expectations of, of the squad, the profile of the squad, like, Chavi's moment is, is, is arriving sooner rather than later, I think, to take over at that club. I really think it is. Uh, yeah, if they can afford to get rid of Koeman, which they can't, which is the only reason that he's still in a job. Sometimes it's more expensive to persist with um, the wrong fit True. than to retain the wrong fit. And I'm not, this is not disrespecting Koeman, actually. It's not disrespecting Koeman. It's more the fit there is not the optimal fit, I would say. It, it wouldn't be surprised if, Bar- if Barca really just muddled through this season. Mm. Um, because I, <laughs> do you know what? I, I actually think that it's really, it's been really impressive how Memphis Depay has rocked up and basically been like, this is my team. Yes, you know? love it. But I actually don't think maybe Javi would love that. I don't think he would be so wild about the hero ball. And what you might actually do is actually just put Depay as like a nine <laughs> mm. and just get everyone else out of the way. So I think, I think maybe he, he might look at this and be like, next year. I think he'd look at the squad and the profile of players, I think Chavi would have a plan. 
2022, I think. Coming in yeah. the summer of 2022 for Javi, I think. With a proper preseason. I think that makes a lot of sense. He wants to ride then on horseback. He doesn't want to sort of shuffle in no. through the back door. No, no. I still think well, that, I, st- I still think getting rid of Alverde was a really bad call. But anyway. Uh, we're going to leave. We're going to leave Liga. But uh, Mbappe is not happy. Neymar doesn't pass me the ball. Neymar doesn't pass me the ball like he does. Who would have thought that Neymar trusted Julian Draxler more than Kylian Mbappe? <laughs> <laughs> Julian Draxler, man. Fair play to Julian Draxler. That guy is like, what? What? Do you want to see what WhatsApp groups I'm in energy? That's a man who's not short of a euro or two, I tell you that. Wolfsburg and PSG. That is a well-remunerated man. <laughs> World Cup winner Julian Draxler. Listen. I'm not even mad at it. I'm not even mad How at it. How can you be mad at that hustle? <laughs> PSG so weird. Maximum record. Cruising in the league. Where's but the documentary? Just, but it's Where's just the documentary? Not, but it's just, it's just not right, is it? It's just Where's the documentary? Not, it's not right, though. I want... I want I, that, that is the documentary I want to see, actually. The PSG one. And I don't want the authorised one. I want the unauthorised one. Filmed on smartphones. <laughs> by the kit staff, by the physios. Uh, That's the one I want. Played eight, won eight, scored 22, conceded seven. Nine points clear. Right. It's a shame because underneath PSG, Liga is super interesting. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, like a reminder, we'll talk about more about the North London derby. We'll also talk about some other stuff on Wright's House. So you and Flo are on Wright's House this week, so make sure you check that. That'll be up on Wednesday. Yes, yes. We'll be back on Thursday. It's Champions League this week. It is indeed. Can't wait. I can't wait either. So we'll be back on Thursday. Don't forget to check theringer.com forward slash soccer. Study on Twitter, study on football on Instagram. And yeah, we just hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, getting vaxxed if you can. And uh, study our choice plays on Spotify. All the tunes we play out on each episode. This episode we're playing out on Quay by Dennis and Punga and Paul K. Bit of a banger this one. Oh shit. So much so I dropped my phone. <laughs> Anything you want to add me, Sokwonga? Nothing further, Your Honour. No Lovely. more conspiracies, no intrigues. Yep. Clean break. Wow. He's finally grown up, everyone. We got him. <laughs> now he's a serious author. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everyone. Much love. We'll be back on Thursday. Bye. See ya. Yeah, I'm gonna get